Yeah. Listen, you could put this in the intro if you need to, but I'm telling you what, I didn't picture little Chelsea like that. She's gorgeous. Is she gorgeous? Freaking Number gorgeous. one, gorgeous. Number yeah. two, she doesn't look strong enough to come as the package of power that she is. She looks dainty. Yeah. She's amazing. That was great. She's Isn't amazing. She Isn't she amazing? She's so good. That was awesome. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty tart and pleasantly bitter conversation. This episode is brought to you by Sensational You. As moms to autistic individuals, we here at the table know all too well the struggle to find clothes that work for our children. That is why we are excited to be teaming up with Sensational You. They are a new company that is here to make the fashion industry more inclusive because every child is unique and should be celebrated. Sensational You believes that clothing helps children to discover and express who they are as individuals and takes this one step further by meeting their functional needs as well. They have items like stimuli-reducing hoodies, sensory-friendly joggers, compression-line tees, and much more. Everything is guaranteed to have no tags and flat seams. Perfect for our kids. Check them out at shopsensationalu.com and use code TABLEFOR5 for free shipping. ShopSensationalU.com and use code TABLEFOR5, all one word, for free shipping. Sensational You, because fashion is for all. Hello, and thank you for joining us tonight. Seated at the table is Tabitha Cabrera. Hello. Jamie Ramos. Hi. Rachel Flanagan. Hey, everyone. Kim McIsaac. Hello. Joining us tonight is Chelsea Houts. Hi. And I'm Jennifer Dunn. Thank you for joining us tonight, Chelsea. I'm so happy you are here. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to sit at this table tonight. <laughs> so Chelsea is Kaya's occupational therapist. And I met Chelsea through Kaya's speech language pathologist who looked her up and found her for me when Kaya's speech appointments really just became OT. Jackie was carrying her upside down. She was dangling and she said, Jen, this kid needs some serious OT. And I didn't know anything about occupational therapy. And she, through colleagues, found Chelsea and I think four years later, five years, maybe here we are. Yep. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think it's about five. I didn't actually look, but yeah, it's been um, a long time. She was tiny. Yeah. She didn't yeah. eat. She didn't talk. She was tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. Chelsea, can you introduce yourself? My name is Chelsea Houts. I'm originally an Albertan. I currently reside in North Vancouver, British Columbia. My family is uh, embarking on another international adventure. We love to travel. And so I've worked as an OT in Canada, in the UK, in Hong Kong, now back in BC. And then I will be working as an OT in the Middle East shortly. That's so incredible. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And so that's kind of me. I'm a mom of two children. My kids are seven and a half and almost five. I um, love sports and hiking in the outdoors. I don't know. <laughs> it helps inform, inform a lot of the movement. I think I became an OT by virtue of my own sensory and motor profile. And I actually, I guess one thing to share is like, I love my job, love Aww. my job. And although there are hard days and paperwork makes me go crazy. Being in the gym and meeting with families, I know I am in my place of purpose and meaning. And so I just really enjoy it. So yeah, I'm excited to be here and share a little bit about that with you. Kaya just loves you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't really understand. I mean, I, I really didn't understand, but I thought of you the other night because her ballet teacher said, 
oh, her, her core strength in the bottom is so much stronger since she came back from the pandemic just over the weeks of dancing. And I was like, oh, Chelsea talked about her core strength, losing her core strength over COVID. And then when she came back to the gym, yeah. how she didn't have that. So um, for the, our listeners that maybe don't know a lot about occupational therapy, uh, what it does for our kids, um, how important it is, could you talk a little bit about that? Um, and then the ladies have some questions for you. Yeah, I mean, that is a big question. When I went to grad school, our professors said to us, you will spend the rest of your career explaining what you do. A lot of people have a hard time because we work in so many different areas of practice. You know, you can have an occupational therapist that is a hand specialist and doing post-surgical rehabilitation on hands. And you can have the infant cranial remodeling person or the NICU feeding therapist. And then you can have someone in the retirement home or a long-term care facility and so many different areas. So I think that's what I love about what we do is that we're all about helping people find meaningful occupation, which is whatever it is that they do. A child's role in the world is to play and to be part of their family and to be integrated into their communities in some way, shape or form. And so for pediatric OTs, we focus a lot on all the different like physical systems, sensory systems, motor systems, visual systems, and how that physical experience, physiological experience for a child coupled with their environments, their relationships, the demand that's required of them all mixes together in terms of them being meaningful participants in their world, right? And being able to make sense and meaning of their world. And so I think my understanding of my role has changed over the years and my practice has changed over the years, even since meeting Kaya, you know, every year I evolve slightly differently. And then even within pediatric practice, we all take different sort of directions on what we specialize in and how we navigate professional development and how we might provide services. So some therapists are more behavior-based, others are more relational, others will focus more on mental health and less on some of the other areas. And some are just really good at printing and handwriting and motor skill-based stuff. So, you know, in reality, there's no one size fits all therapist, um, just like there's no one similar autistic child, right? And so, yeah, we do a lot of different things, but really it's about helping kids make meaning of their world, make sense of their world, and to be participants to the point that they want to be in their world. I have never in my life, Chelsea, heard of OT described in this fashion. And I'm <laughs> yes! Amazing. I just want to let you know that everybody's driving off the road to find your name on the Google. She's moving to the Middle East, folks. You can't, <laughs> you can't bug her. I might start an online consultation. I well, still haven't figured out what I'm that. doing. You let us know. We'll get you a commercial on a podcast. Please. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Um, Chelsea, I have to stop you in this Q&A because I want to tell you just so deeply that I appreciate you and I've never heard you speak. Now I know why Jen's world has changed and you have changed my perspective on movement for my daughter. And what her needs are and how that needs to be integrated into life. And I just want to thank you from just the deepest parts of my tired soul for helping us to navigate what life is like for my kid. You know, mm. I think it's just, <laughs> thank you. That's really special uh, to hear. 
<laughs> I mean, one of the things that, and, and you know, we did a, a meeting about when Kaya was going into her new program. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Chelsea said is that, you know, the movements and the breaks aren't a reward. Those are her rights. She's entitled to those breaks for her body. She physically needs those breaks. And even for me, I was like, huh, you know, it's, you know, that's what she needs, although she can't verbalize that that's what she needs. But I mean, she's whipping on that swing at I'm you know, 90 like, miles an hour right now. Again for the people in the back. Because yeah, that is a um, right. There, you well, know. even just the idea that your children's experience their world, the way they experience it is different, you know, from child to child. And to say to a child that it's not okay that you, you know, are, are listening and walking and pacing because that's the way that they are able mm -hmm. to regulate their system, the way they're able to actually hone in on the potentially the sound or the visual input that they're trying to make sense of because they're able to pace or rock or move or stand right. in front of it in whatever way they do. And so at the end of the day, I think one of the biggest things that I say to families and say to schools is that movement is essential. This isn't like a negotiable. I don't care how bad that child has been on your in your books that day this is a non-negotiable so regardless of what happens this child needs to move you know and sometimes we have to set a timeline like I hate saying every five minutes or every 15 minutes because at the end of the day I want them to watch that child and adapt to their flow and to their rhythms and to follow their lead on that but if I have to I'll say okay it's got to be every 15 minutes they've got to get up and be free to move or you know whatever it is Maybe there's a rocker board in the back of the classroom, or maybe there's like a swing in Jen. I think the swing made a huge difference. When Jen got that swing, it was like Kaya just all of a sudden had this like natural opportunity to just regulate herself mm -hmm. constantly. And you saw a huge difference in her. And I was, I think at, like after a couple of weeks, I was like, so how much is she using it anyways? And here I'm thinking like, I hope she's using it at home because I recommended this. <laughs> I thought it was really important. Jen's like, She's never not on it. Like, so like, wait, my handyman has to come and he, he buys the um, 2,200 pound clip for it and he changes it monthly because she's on it so excessively that it's just constantly rubbing. And she, I mean, she gets on, it's the first thing she gets on in the morning. And, and a lot of times she's not even moving. It's just that slow, she's oh, in that hammock. She, and she like she's drifts. Tight. Yeah, she just dressed in it. It, it was yeah. the best. Jen yeah, said that to me when my daughter has a huge seeker of input and said yeah huge and Jen said that to me she must have been like a little bit over two and Jen's like you gotta get that girl a swing <laughs> get her a and swing. you got her the pod one and she I got loved her the pod it one. she loved it yeah she loved but like it. the girls like that's sort of like the hammock that yeah. Kaya has now but that squeeze one is like a whole other bear like oh my gosh there's just so many different <laughs> parts of movement yeah, yeah, totally. There's so many different options. And I think, yeah, this came back to the idea that it's an absolute pet peeve of mine that sensory mo and movement breaks are rewards for kids. They have to work hard to get what their body needs. You would never do that with food. Like we wouldn't withhold food from our children. Mm -hmm. or like you just think about yourself. You don't withhold what the body needs to regulate itself and calm the nervous system. I think about kids as nervous systems now. I don't really think about them as like, you know, the essentials because yeah, every kid needs movement, but their little nervous systems are in hyper aroused states compared to their peers because of their neurodiversity. 
So that state needs to be offered the opportunity to just like, it's like a pressure release or uh, just a coming down so that they can exist in, in a more reasonable wavelength of capacity rather than constantly being tapped out because they're not allowed to do the things that they need to do. What's praising gives so much power to the fact that it's insulin for a diabetic though, that it isn't uh, the big sticker at the end of the chart. It is to be healthy, to be capable, to be Mm -hmm. present. That's what I was going to say. It promotes learning. I mean, if you want a kid who's having struggles in the classroom to be able to learn, mm-hmm. then don't take away their way to regulate themselves in order to be able to learn. <laughs> you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. We just had the first time Jesse's, my son, Jesse, his teacher mentioned mm-hmm. to me that he didn't finish some work or something. She's like, so he missed a little bit of recess. And I was like, so the teacher got a little, <laughs> I was well, very not happening again. <laughs> I was just like, well, I'm going to say, no, let's not do that anymore. I was really nice about it. It was the first time. And she didn't completely take away recess. It was kind of like he had to work into recess or something like that. But I was like, yeah, let's make sure he gets those breaks because he needs that. Yeah. If not, we're going to have an IEP meeting. So you might want to just do that if you don't want to waste an hour of your time. (laughs) He's already working harder than everybody else. I just think, how is this... How is this reasonable? So Chelsea, for our listeners that maybe don't understand how important or what those breaks or what Kaya getting in, I'll just use Kaya for an example, getting in that swing and moving in that swing. What does that do for our children, that movement? Oh man, that's a good question. This was not on the list. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, we think about top-down approaches versus bottom-up approaches. And bottom-up is really targeting low-level brainstem and sort of systems in the body that help us to regulate. You use that word, Tabitha, of like that whole regulatory system of balance, coordination, taking in your visual environment, all that sort of stuff. So when kids are able, when they have sensory profiles that are mixed or or sort of off kilter. And I I'd actually don't even want to say that because all of ours are different, right? Like I have a definitely distinct sensory profile. I've worked over the years. And so when I come home at the end of the day, my earplugs go in because I've been dealing with kids all day. And to deal with my own, I have to navigate sound because I've had 10 hours of sound already and I'm done. And that's, you know, one of my unique sense sensitivities I've learned over the years, but we all have a profile. And so if they're that child's cup, is really big for movement or vestibular input through that ear uh, canal. Like they, they need to fill that cup in order to feel regulated and sort of present in their world. A lot of our kids have low registration. So that means that their nervous system isn't picking up on all the salient information in the room. They might be picking up all of it at once and then it's disorganized and they're not quite sure what to do with, with it, or they're not picking up everything. And so that's really about helping them hone in on all of the cues in their environment to organize their own system with sensory processing, because we're not just taking in one sense at a time, right? We have to integrate multiple senses. Mm -hmm. And so 
these inputs, these movement breaks and these different kinds of inputs that are so specific to each child help them to integrate and make sense. And so from that bottom up approach, it's not the, so this is what your brain does. It's not a cognitive thinking process that they then apply to what's going on for them. They're moving, they're feeling, they're sensing, and their nervous system is changing because of it. And so that's how it changes. There's a science to it. There's a real individual experience on everyone's part. And Mm. so I think where our expertise and over time, you kind of hone in, parents get to hone in on oh, this is too much, right? Like they need a lot of this input, but oh, wait a second, we just put them over the edge versus like, oh, you know what? It would help if we just added a bit more input here or took away some input. There's too much sound. There's too many visuals to process, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, there it just really depends, but it's that real bottom-up approach to how do we integrate all those senses that help us to move and process understand, and then ultimately execute our own plans and our own autonomous steps into the world, right? Whether that's learning related or friendship related or sports or activity related, it doesn't really matter, but it's a bit of a hierarchy and it needs to, it, that lower system needs to be fed. I always think of it, like when I think of my kids overstimulated or like too much input, I think of it like in movies when they're traveling through space and everything's zipping by their face so quickly that they can't like take in anything that's passing them. And so when you, you, yeah, when you slow it down a little bit, then they can see what's happening around them in whatever way you can get that into their system to kind of slow down the, the image. Totally. And that like, that goes right back to that question that Jen asked, like about pause, the pause. Yes. And so maybe we segue into that idea of, you know, the slowing down and shifting our pace is probably like the, the hanger I've been hanging my coat on for the last year with families and people and teachers and like slow down, slow everything down. And this isn't dumb down. This is slow down because By slowing down, we get to actually be more present to the subtleties and the slight shifts that these kids, their kids, they're giving us clues all the time, right? And in some sort of theories and paradigms, we call this expectant waiting. Stanley Greenspan in like floor time approach calls it the wait, watch, wonder, right? Mm. The slowing down that just the opportunity for that child to just know that you're experiencing this moment with them without having to interrupt it at all. And also that opportunity for you as the parent or the caregiver or the teacher to, to watch, or even the therapist to watch and go, Hmm, I wonder what's coming next. Mm -hmm. And in that our kids can use us as that co-regulatory grounding force when the world feels like it's going past them so fast. I think about pausing. So with my son, it was like, especially in the beginning when we knew there was at least a delay, we didn't know it was autism. We really started working on like, okay, we got to get him playing games and doing this and this. And so always like bringing things to him, like, okay, let's try doing this. Let's try doing that. And I remember one day I was just sitting out on our porch. Like we have a little swing out there and my son just came and sat with me. And 
this might sound weird to people, but my son had never just sat with me before. And he, mm-hmm. we just sat together and swing on the thing. And I just, I just sat there and I didn't move because I was afraid I'd scare <laughs> him off or something. Yeah. But that's really the first time I learned like part of that pause. And just like you were saying, is, kind of, is entering their world mm-hmm. and just sitting with them in there and seeing where they lead. Like mm-hmm. it was a big lesson for me. And then as I came into the autism world, a lot of people are like, yeah, you have to join them in their world world but I think that pause is such a big part of that because mm-hmm. we're just trying to guide and get what we can out of them and push them we need to do this we need to learn this but we gotta enter their world first and kind of see how they move and then we can join in and I think that's a big part of that pause for me and it goes to so many things like my daughter recently started not wanting to put her shoes on as we're leaving in the morning mm. and so I'm like how can we modify this to where I'm not climbing underneath the table to like try and put the shoes on I mean I'm a small person I've climbed into many tiny places at this point in my life but (laughs) so she has two pairs of shoes that she likes so I place them on the floor and I scooted one do you want this one my daughter's nonverbal or do you want this one and then I waited and she looked at them and we tried it again and then finally she pointed to the purple shoes mm-hmm. and then she climbed out of the table herself and stood up and slipped her feet in her shoes. I'm like, this is great. Now I don't have to like, but totally. it takes a conscious yeah. effort to slow yourself down. Cause we're in such a hustle movement, parenting, getting all the things done. And I will say that is the the greatest lesson I think I've learned about both of my children is that I need to learn to, to slow myself down. Slow down, yeah. So, so much. And it is hard. And some days, I'm no like, rushing. Can no we get rushing. to the car? No rushing. Lord, let us get in this car this morning. <laughs> you Kim says that all the time. Though. You can't rush. You can't rush. Yeah. It's so, and you can't it's, rush Kaya either. You just can't. You need, some, you need so much patience. Everything just takes so much longer. Like my daughter is, you know, she's on the Savia side. She has receptive language is weak. She, you know, cognitively, she just, I don't know. She's like all over the place though, because sometimes it's like, I'm like, how do you know this? <laughs> like, you didn't understand that. You know, it's very inconsistent with her, but it's like, you have to be so patient. It's so hard because sometimes you just want to be like, let's go. But like, do the thing. <laughs> you can't do it and it's like always I struggle with the thing of like she just really needs things broken down for her but at the same time when I do that sometimes I'm not giving her the minute to process she's her processing is it's there but it's slow so it's like but when you're repeating yourself to try to like help her understand sometimes I'm like messing up with that that process so it's like hard to like do both I guess and she kind of needs both so it's hard to know like when she needs the pause and then when she needs a prompt the repetition yeah yeah it's like a dance isn't it this like this this dance and I think honestly Kim I love hearing that because it feels like that as a therapist sometimes like you're expected to know what the answer is when that happens and sometimes actually I'm trialing and erroring things too and one time the pause works really well and another time the pro the extra little prompt helped boost the the effort and it's just I think that's part of the dance and it changes as they go through the ages yeah and the I'm in position now where I'm you know I'm not working with this child anymore but you know I have like kids I started with at 
six who are now graduating from high school. And that's pretty crazy. Um, it makes you feel like, whoa, how did that happen? I still imagine you as a six-year-old sitting. In <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And now you're, you know, you're graduating. And so it's, it's pretty cool, but that is, that's exactly it. It's never, I don't think it's ever clear cut. It's not a, this is a gray area that we're constantly navigating. And actually I think parent capacity has a lot to do with our ability to pause because it's really easy to say it, but if our ability to regulate our own nervous systems, whether we're trying to get on the door on time or whatever's happened that day, it's the pause is actually one of the hardest things to do when you're yeah. regulated yourself. Yeah. yeah, That's a great segue. So the episode that came out right before this one, we actually, we did a PSA to providers as our perspective uh-huh. as the parents to the providers, because you know, we talked a lot about how like sometimes providers forget that like we're seeing multiple providers and there's being a lot asked of us or we're came into this world and we're trying to learn OT and speech and everything all at once. So we kind of did an episode about that. So we wanted kind of your perspective on like twofold question here. What's the best advice you've gotten from parents yourself? Like what have you learned like interacting with the parents and seeing or being a parent yourself? Like you know, we always talk about sometimes it's nice when people kids themselves because they kind of understand a little better. And then also what is your advice, like your biggest advice to parents? Mm -hmm. I thought about these questions a lot, actually. Um, I have like kind of a layered answer to it, but I do say often, Jamie, to my colleagues, the best professional development I have ever done was have my own children (laughs) because I, you just step into a different place of empathy and understanding. I do think I was quite empathetic before, but just a bit too energetic and well slept to truly understand. <laughs> well slept. We need a little well darker slept. circles under the eyes to relate. And you're just kind of like they walk in and you're thinking like, how could it be that hard? But like it is. It's that hard. We um, know they think that before they make some or buy some. We know yeah, that. Totally. And so, you, you know, that by your I, freshly done eyebrows. <laughs> those chirpy ones always have those. Oh my gosh. I try really hard. I try to show up like, you know, pulled together, but it was so funny that one of my moms, like during that phase where I didn't have kids and she was so tuned into me and I her, they showed up for their session and she was kind of side-eyeing me the whole time because I was pregnant and so sick and she could tell and I was working really hard at masking that I was all good but she was like I knew it I saw that look on your face and I knew there was some something growing inside there and so anyway um so best advice that I've learned from parents I would I I couldn't think of something that someone had said to me directly But what I have learned through my observation of parents and just being part of their journeys while I work with their kids is to always presume competence, not only of their child, but of them. Mm. Because I think parents are always doing the, the best that they can with the resources and capacities and supports they have. And everybody is in a different place. And so there's always more to their story you know, they have their own profiles. And if their child is neurodiverse, they probably have some level of neurodiversity too, or they've been navigating this world for a long time and it's hard. And so, you know, 
like I said, it took me becoming a parent to understand this on a whole new level. And then that idea that watching them, like parents are truly the experts of their children. I am not the expert of their child, but it's my job to ask really good questions, to make really good observations to use my clinical reasoning and match that with what I can learn from the parents about their child to help navigate what's next, you know? And so, yeah, that's it. Presume competence always of both the parents and the kids. And and I cry a little bit. I didn't like that, like hit a spot for me when you said that. I'm a crier. I always cry. But (laughs) when you said that about parents, like, like I've never even really thought about that before but the instant you said that that hit a a big spot I do feel like we always feel like we're being talked down to and judged um, and that Mm -hmm. we don't know our kids like as if we are or know what to do or know what to do yeah like as if and I will be honest there's a lot I don't know (laughs) but um it's nice to hear someone say that because I mean I didn't even realize I needed someone to say that but (laughs) you don't feel like that a lot so that was that's Awesome. What did you say, Tabitha? Did you say we've tried it all? Don't oh, suggest yeah. anything. Yeah. We've by, tried the time, it all. By, by the time we've gotten to you, we've tried 10 things, all of those things on your list. <laughs> Everything on your list we've tried. We don't I always feel page. so intimidated when someone comes in like that. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> I might ask oh. you to try again. <laughs> I usually say to providers, like if they, they start down the list yeah. and I, I, I'm <laughs> in a place where I'm already dealt with this either from my son who was first and now we're on the second round of this challenging situation that we're in but Mm -hmm. I usually say to them like I understand that you're giving me the best resources that you have but can we have a creative solution outside of the regular list that you would give to someone (laughs) can we come back at a different time like you think about this question yes then we'll meet (laughs) go talk to three other of your peers and friends and then come back to me with some more ideas yes I've Pinterest, I've Pinterested the heck out of this and I still don't have the answer. <laughs> We've tried it. Um, Rachel's daughter, Celie, is very, very much a sensory seeker like Kaya. She's got uh, one of the swings and she just, I mean, they get, her dog gets in there and they get just, she just needs to be squished all the time. But mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things I learned from you is how important that sensory input is for Kaya on a day-to-day. Um, and I, you know, and I see it in Celie Nora, Tabitha's daughter over COVID. What, what did you take out? The gate tabs that you flipped oh, upside yeah. down, her, her feet, everything's feet sensory. My the kid could walk on shards of Wow, I, mean, I saw her walk on desert rocks the other day. I and mean, I was just like, Get. her feet, everything sensory is in uh, her feet. We were home with a, a cold. We'd been home for too many days, maybe a yeah. week or so. And we went through everything that we could possibly do. And we had this old baby gate that was like pl- hard plastic with all the holes in it. And we just laid that down on the floor and she was walking back like and a forth. Like Walking back and forth for oh probably God. 40 minutes, I would say. She was just walking to get her input that she needed because we'd been But it trapped. like was slightly bentish enough that she could slap it. Like every step made like a situation. Sound. And then yeah. it like the whole thing it was the combination which i wouldn't have understood how important that was she yeah. was walking so we yeah. just were in phoenix near tabs and had a airbnb and it was like the backyard patio had pavers and yeah. artificial grass in a part and then like desert rocks i'm not sure what are those desert rocks they're desert, desert like whatever well, i don't know but they're like rough it's not yeah. like these soft river stones of some yeah. places tabitha our girls both 
marched the heck outside eventually, <laughs> felt the grout in their toes, felt yeah. the brick in their toes, walked. I saw Celie and Nora both go grass stone, grass stone, grass brick, grass brick, grass stone. Like, yeah. like they just out. pivoted and like, you know, they're just taking it in. And it's so oh. funny. They both like did the trees, like the their forehead in this tree. Yeah. Oh, the tree had long hanging stuff. Oh, That's yeah. a really interesting but Instagram page. Input. Chelsea, you should check out is Evie the Explorer. Her daughter, oh my I know gosh. what it's called. Amazing. She can climb a freaking wall. This kid, Our she's a freaking spider woman. She can yeah. climb and scale anything oh and get to any top of anything. It's her. She can scale a fence that has nothing. Yeah. nothing on it she just can it's it's wild to watch she, she has a video of her squeezing through a tiny cat door wild I was gonna say often we get frustrated with providers depending on what we have going on ourselves or with our kids or whatever the case may be who's sitting in front of us on that day and I joke about solutions of course I always want solutions that's why we have 14 people in our lives to try and help us out with learning right all of these things yeah. But some of the most impactful things for our household have come from out of OT. No question yeah. about it. Speech and OT, but definitely OT to learn how to make my kids day easier. Yeah. Do you have suggestions for parents who maybe don't have the funds to like buy a swing or yeah. simple solutions that they can implement in their house to like get that input? You know, it's so interesting. I was like, oh, the equipment question gets me every time because it's a bit of a pet peeve because equipment is only as effective as its user, its environment, and how well it's supported and how much it makes sense for that individual, yeah. right? So, you know, we see that in schools all the time. They'll throw a wobble cushion at somebody or a fidget toy and it doesn't fix the problem and the child's not compliant like they were hoping. And I was like, no, that's not how this works. Like not what the purpose of that piece of equipment is. And so I often say like equipment is just equipment. It's more about like, how do you socialize the child to it? How do you help them use it? Where are they using it? How are, you know, and is it even the input that they need? So mm -hmm. I do think that like we can use office chairs you know, like a swirly office chair in a house is used often, you know, couch cushions where kids can get inverted, you know, you stack mm. couch cushions and then they can go upside down and they can roll down couch cushions. I have managed to fashion myself a gigantic uh, jumping cushion, like a big bean bag by buying a cheap duvet off of Amazon made out of Jersey cotton. It was a twin size. It has a zipper at the bottom. And I had some like scrap foam that I think a parent had actually brought in and said, could you use this? And I was like, well, we'll see. And then I ended up stuffing it into this duvet with some extra blankets and some extra pillows and some stuffies that weren't being loved. And then tying a big this knot. This is dream. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so yes. You, you tie it and like, it's debatable whether my kids are neurotypical or not. I mean, at this point in time, society would tell me that they are, but they, you know, this cushion has gotten the most love in my house than anything, any other, they just jump on it, they roll on it, they squish it. So I always think about equipment as like, can that piece serve multiple purposes and how, how does it serve us? So like a big couch cushion, even for, so for a child who's low reg, but not necessarily seeking, 
that cushion gives them tons of input and opportunity to feel their body and figure out where their body is in space. It increases body awareness. It's a cozy spot to cuddle and read books together. It's a fun thing to squish them into. They like proprioceptive input. It's also a fun thing to jump into. So they're getting lots of deep pressure through their legs. So I think about like those bang for your buck. So if you're going to spend money trying to get something that has serves multiple purposes and can do lots of things, but also something you can kind of create on your own from things you have at home, you know, vestibular and proprioceptive input, those two tend to be like the, the movement inputs that we're always looking at. And if you're changing the position of your head or you're adding weight or pressure to something, you are getting that input. So you can like put weights in a backpack and run that around, or you can, you know, find some old uh, ankle weights or wrist weights that you found, you know, like anything. Um, has those. Yeah. Or like have a, like, there's lots of different things. There's so many different things. So really, I think it's about figuring out what is it that child is seeking, what helps them regulate, and then trying to to find the thing that helps them do that. Swings are so hard to replicate in homes unless you have something hanging. I have seen this standalone camping chair that- Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Pardon? You have that one. Yeah. There you go. I haven't actually seen one in person, but I've recommended them a few times this year because I have a couple kids that I think could use them at school and the school's kind of like, we're not hanging anything from the ceiling. And I said, well, how about you buy this $150 camping chair and see if that works, you know, or even if the parent buys it for the school. So again, there's all, there is a cost. That's the hard part, but uh, getting that rocking movement can be hard to replicate without something like that. Because also the side to side motion is really nice for kids and yeah. that's a hard one to get unless, you know, I've got like families that like, you know, the older brother and the mom, you know, rock them in a big piece of Lycra. I also am a big Lycra fan. I think. <laughs> Aren't we like, all? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not for my own one piece suit, but like for like all the other reasons. Speak for yourself, Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. I'm an 80s baby. I, like, I respect it. But, yeah. um, <laughs> no, I, uh, and like, you know, rocking kids, but you can only do that for so long. And then yeah. in back hurt, you have to take care of your own body, right? Yeah. And so like playgrounds, like getting out to the playground, then also has that multiple benefit of getting outdoors and having like their visual world change from inside to outside. I mean, today I was out with one of my kids and there's often a very structured approach to how it goes. And I kind of looked at his mom and I said, do you mind if I go off-roading a little bit? We just got this brand new like stroller. He's 12. And I just rocked him up the hills and down the hills of this little park and playground and over the bumps of the trees. And, you know, he didn't want to get out of the stroller, wasn't happy, but like uh, 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 over all the bumps and then (laughs) laughing and giggling. And it was this, like, I was just pushing the stroller faster, but he got that little bit of input and that extra input with the bumping. And if I'd stuck to the trail and the normal plan, which is usually what we do, because that feels more comfortable, I think for him, I just thought, you know what, let's just get out of our comfort zones. <laughs> I think the mom was like, oh my goodness, you're crazy. <laughs> it's pouring rain today. Jen can attest. Like today was a miserable day in Vancouver. And I was like, heck, I'm taking this kid on like, this is what this stroller's for. Like the wheels are like this big. Like, <laughs> Let's do get, it. <laughs> we didn't get this stroller for like, you know, going on the cement. We got this for like a proper 
a proper off-road. So, you know, even just that, like leaning him back in the stroller, it changes the position of his head. You know, like there's so many ways of getting input just with what we have. I love connect and regulate spaces. I call them connect and regulate spaces that are cozy. Potentially you can put a sheet over mm-hmm can change the lighting of there's soft pillows there's like those like flippy pillows there's you know the things that that child loves in that corner noise canceling headphones or earbuds and fidgets and balls and you know you can make stuff with sheets and cushions and and toys and I think when they know they have access to it it's not just a special thing it's like something that's available to them they start to use it those door frame swings are pretty good too, but that's a little bit of an investment, but they work, you know, putting a frame in the door and then hanging, hanging swings, either a forward and back swing or a Lycra swing. Mm. That was a big lesson in the swing because you said it needed to be accessible. So she learned to use it to regulate herself. Not when I put it up and it was swing time, you know, it was that distinct regulation. Not giving it. Yeah. Yeah. I one thing I want to go back to what you said because oftentimes, like as we learn, we're looking at these things that our kids are doing as behaviors. So, like dumping. Mainly, I'm in a dumping phase, so that's yeah. what comes to Throwing my mind. Right Tearing, you know, you jumping, gather, gather and scatter. Yeah, gather and scatter. Water play, like seeking yeah. out the dog dish, like all of these things we think of, or other people token them as behaviors. And this was a big thing for me to learn too, is like, if you can look at the behavior and say, what is happening? What is my child seeking out? Like my daughter was in a huge, it still is, is like in a fort making thing. And she needs that closed dark space to regulate her body. It has to be perfect. Like the blankets have to be all lined. So there's no light coming through that, you know, everything has to be lined up a specific way, which sometimes takes like an hour to get the whole thing but she likes to do it herself because she wants to make it and put the blankets where she wants. But yep. she's doing that because she needs a space to crawl into that's dark mm. and away from everything else, you know? But you would think like bringing the blanket over to me 400 times so I can re-put it on the thing seems like a behavior, but it's really like a request to yeah. help her regulate herself. So it's, it took me a while to kind of learn, okay, if I don't get frustrated in this situation and I really look at what's happening here, although I have cleaned up so much water off this floor, uh, I'm just going to say after two kids, <laughs> it does get a little frustrating. You can then say, okay, if you want to dump water, let's get in the tub or let's go outside to the water table or let's put four bowls on the floor and a towel underneath and you can dump there instead of like pouring everything out um, everywhere else. So it's really helped me to like learn that those things, those behaviors, what we call behaviors or other people call behaviors are really like a tool to regulate a need. Yeah. And how can we facilitate that in a way that's more. That works for everybody. Yeah. That works for everybody. Yep. Yep. Well, I was going to say like, so obviously Alyssa's older. So when she was younger, you didn't have access. You couldn't buy a swing like you can now. Like Mm -hmm. there was no like online stores that you could like get sensory equipment. And the biggest thing that helped her because she was a bouncer. So we were like literally human trampolines, like nonstop. We just always had a bouncer. But um, she had a yoga ball, like a big, huge yoga ball. And she would sit on that. She would eat on it. She'd go on her belly. She'd watch TV on it. Yeah. And they're like 15 bucks. If they had them available, we probably would have done something because she 
her sensory need was so high. You know, we just probably have a bad back now. You're exactly right. You had me buy one of those for Kaya to get her on the ground and put fresh rig roll on her with the ball. Totally. You can like that you can do ball massages while they lie on the ground. You can roll it on. There's so many things you can do with a ball. Anything <laughs> heavy, you know, um, I'm trying to think like I'm looking around. I have, I have more equipment and random things than I, you know, in my house, my husband, before we had kids was like, looks like we have children already. And I <laughs> I, just, I, I want to have all the things. You know? Yeah. Do you want to try the yoga ball? Yeah. <laughs> Your back looks tight. I think you, <laughs> I get told all the time, stop OTing me. Oh, all right. <laughs> what was your advice for parents? Yeah, I was going to answer that because I know I, we didn't answer that. It might make me cry a little bit because it's my advice for myself too <laughs> as a parent. But like just that idea of as I've watched parents transform, Jen is one of them. <laughs> you know, I just think about the Jen that walked into my office five years ago and the Jen now is, it's so beautiful. And I'm, I feel honored to have bared witness to your process. And I think parents just need to lean in hard and soften to the changes, allow themselves to grieve because regardless of it, there's a process of grieving what you thought was going to be the reality and maybe what is, and there's like everybody's process in that is different. And so it's like, there's no one way to do it, but allowing yourself to do that and moving through that, I think is transformative. And it's where we actually start to see the change for the child, the most effectively when I see this change, this shift in parents and, you know, giving yourself space and grace and time, just thinking about like the parents who have been willing to ask me the hard questions and be really vulnerable and actually just get into it are the ones that, you know, and wrestle with those challenges that that is just a pro like that process is what helps clinicians, I think, who are willing to get go there with them really helps that process. And there is a difference between that feeling of being uncomfortable and being willing to move through something and doing your own inner work. And that feeling that like, this isn't right for my kid. And I think honing in on that and listening to it is key for parents because not every clinician, not every space, not every school, not every soccer team or whatever they get involved in is going to be the right fit for them. And your gut will tell you. And yeah, sometimes there's a transition and it's hard. It doesn't mean we don't work through the hard, but that gut of like, this isn't quite right. Listen to that. And yeah, there's no one size fits all approach. I think we're all a little bit different and there's lots of different philosophies out there. Jen and I've talked about this and I haven't really got too much into that, but you know, I think we're recognizing the importance of connectedness with your child that relationship is the most important that will drive everything, no matter what therapy it is, maintaining that relationship and that connection and getting to know them in their world will be what continues to, to guide it. So I just, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what I'd say to parents having watched yeah. only because I've watched this and I, and it's beautiful to see it happen. Yeah. Well, I know that we all wish there was more therapists like you yes. <laughs> that thought, you know, on that level for our kids, because, you know, we trust our children to 
therapists, right? And we hang a lot of hope on you, <laughs> which is a lot of pressure. And we know that, but. Um, well, you guys know Kaya, like I literally spent weeks and months just being with her, just being. And that whole idea of, I have it in my office for other clinicians to see. And for me, it's a, it's a little like letter board and it says, being is enough. And sometimes just being with them is enough for, because she was getting used to the space and figuring it out. And I just think she just seemed like she just didn't know what to do. And it was here and thither. And she wasn't able to say a lot of words. And, but I did know when I did something she didn't like, it was like, <laughs> you know, she'd yell or, nah! or whatever. And then yeah. those back medications. <laughs> the last time, like the last time I saw Kaya, she walks in, she goes, Chelsea, back gym. And she like marches me in the back, turn on Annie. And then she looks at me and she goes, sing. Because she, like, like, she, she lets you sing. And I said, I apparently I have a, an okay voice. And I am basically on Broadway with Kaya <laughs> singing, it's a hard knock life for us and oh we, my god but you know she's on the swing the lights are off the disco lights are on she's swinging and moving and stimming and I'm sitting beside her and we're like we're just we're in our own world and this is why I love my job because I sometimes I'm like I get to do this with these incredible yeah. humans and yeah it was just anyway she has changed so much you know bossing me around now which is awesome so. <laughs> yeah she got that down yeah, yeah. she sure does you One are. of the things that I hope you understand from us, I like as parents, we understand that you chose your line of work. Mm. And as such, you've chosen your caseload, which includes 15 or 30 minutes or four days a week with my daughter. And it matters to me mm. that you chose and you choose it every day, every morning when you come to work, every cranky that it doesn't work out or some, you know, like life is happening. It's your work. But I adopted a baby in 2015 mm -hmm. and I chose that. I chose to do that path. I had no idea what was coming. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hear me. I had no <laughs> idea what was coming. And I've learned and I've grown and I know that she's mine and should be in all those things. But I didn't choose this life. Um, mm -hmm you do. And it's just so powerful to me that you would be willing to serve 15 mm. minutes per person, eight hours a day, five days a week mm. of families like ours. I like it. It means a lot. Oh, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. You are yeah. a gem, Chelsea. Oh, One in a million. Yes. No doubt awesome. about that. I, yes. I love chatting with you. You know, I la the the one question we didn't answer, but I'll just answer in closing is that you guys said, why did you go into this work? Because this is what you, you've gone into, Rachel. And there is this like when you're young and you're 20 and your world is ahead of you and you want to be a helper and you know you're good with people. And it's this a little bit more of an altruistic like. I'm going to offer my knowledge and expertise and I'm going to help people in practical ways. And, you know, I do inherently believe everyone deserves to be felt, seen, heard, and meaningfully part of society. But now 
I show up with a very different why about like advocacy. Like I am a voice at that school in that. And sometimes it's in that family. You know, when you're the first voice, they come in with their autism diagnosis and I'm the first person that they're seeing. And like some of the first words out of my mouth are like, well, your child isn't purposefully doing this. And this is just, you know, like there's a lot of that kind of like reframing and paradigm shifting. And there's a lot of us that are practicing in this way and trying to shift the paradigm and the conversation and the narrative around the lived experience of people who are different than them, you know, than the the people that are deciding on all the rules and the systems and the you know, that kind of thing. And so now, like, I love to play and I love being part of people's lives, but it brings me so much joy to think that I've like stuck mm-hmm. a little, like a, a little idea in there that maybe that is going to make that person think that administrator or teacher think differently. And, uh, or even like that new clinic, that other clinician in the room who, you know, and it's not that I'm not accepting of lots of other ideas. It's just, I do think we have to really start having these hard conversations about what matters to these children and uh, from the adults and the voices that we're hearing who've been through this as, you know, uh, the older children, you know, who are able to share their experiences of what it was like to go through therapies and go through systems that didn't work well for them. And so that for me is the why now it's not so altruistic. I'm not actually, I don't, I feel like I'm not the one that brings all the knowledge to the table. But I do like gathering all the knowledge and putting it together and then summating it and making a strong point. So, you know, I, yeah, Jen's seen me on my soapbox a few times. I think. We've heard about it. Yes. Yes. You're remarkable. We're like yes. we're standing ovation two and a half hours. Oh later gosh. But you know, it's, it's, and it's not about me. It's really about these kids because they deserve, they deserve. And you know what? The it, thing what, is, is. Chelsea, we don't know how we're supposed to phrase something to make action. We think that we're at the table saying like, oh, I read on the internet, I should say sensory diet. (laughs) What about a sensory diet? And (laughs) what's real is that I can demand Mm -hmm. that my daughter have the breaks that are necessary for her. And let's not even call it a break, take the chair away and change your mind. But we don't know how to say it. Anyways, you've narrated lots of get done in my bill. <laughs> totally. Well, and Rachel, you know what? Admittedly, let's give you a little bit more credit than that. Oftentimes you do know how to say it and parents are discredited all the time and it's not right. So sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to say all the things that we've talked about that you've said, but I'm going to say it in my like big clinician voice. And hopefully somebody will take it on. And you know, like I've had those conversations with parents. Sometimes what's the WWW after that website. We need that. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, seriously. I have not in my finest moments. I have literally almost shouted. I am an educated person. Like, listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth, people. Listen to what I have to say here. It's just out of, like, pure, like, feeling like you're lost in the room Mm -hmm. of providers who are throwing things in your direction. Mm -hmm. And that can be any person. No matter what your background is, you can end up feeling that way in a room full of people who think they know what it should be. It's just a mind melt is what it boils down to. (laughs) And so if you can have a person on your team who's like, no, here's what needs to happen. Instead of you having to like take that on as a parent, it's fantastic. 
I mean, you're, yeah, so. you guys are case managing so much and you're doing the 24 seven. Like Rachel, I love that you think 45 minutes is good. Like sometimes I'm done the 45 minutes and I'm like, oh my gosh, how is that mom going to do the rest of the week? You know, like there's, well, I'm glad to hear that many. crosses your dang mind because I'll tell you this. Oh when some of these people are like, I'll grant you so much OT. It's called 15 minutes on Tuesdays. I'm like, <laughs> on Wednesdays. <laughs> What are you talking about for Thursdays, Mondays? Who's coming over? <laughs> so I think, thank you. Thank I you. Do. I do. You guys are like literally. Because <laughs> I'm sweating in my parts and I can't even sit down while you've got her. Jesus. Oh my gosh. I, there were so many times Jen would come in. I'm like, I think you should go for a coffee. Like, can you just sit down and like do something that like, for yourself yeah. for the next 45 minutes yeah whenever you invited her in I think Jen was like oh I just oh, I don't, I don't want to come in <laughs> I'm not going for flash dancing today yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank so. you thank you thank you thanks yes you yeah. thank you so much get too sappy but you... I hope this isn't the end of this you guys are no fantastic. I would love to have you back Yes. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, All right, Chelsea. everyone. Have a good evening. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the table for this interview with Chelsea. If you enjoy our podcast, we would appreciate if you could follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact us, you can at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We have new episodes every Monday, and we'll be back next week with more. See you then. Bye.